just trying to figure out, is there a difference between the Athanasian ring and the Nicene ring? Well, that's what I was trying to figure out, too. And uh, the Athanasian, the, I, there isn't a difference if there is such a thing as a Nicene ring. Mm -hmm. I thought there was, but uh, it turns out to be the Athanasian ring is a lot easier to Google. So we don't even know if there is such a thing as the Nicene ring. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure there is, because how else would I have known about it? Um, <laughs> how did it come up? Uh, Zach asked. Oh, because I thought we were talking about the Nicene ring, and then suddenly it switched to Athanasian. Yeah, and I, I, maybe you were late, but I said oh. that that's what I actually, um, oh. that, that looking for the, for the Nicene ring, I thought maybe I was just misremembering because what I found was uh, the gotcha. Athanasian ring. There, but the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed are not that different, um, and the Athanasian Creed um, follows it um, and extends it. Um, so it may just be that the thing called the um, the Athanasian ring um, is it just got that name because someone came up with the with the visual, but I don't know. Um, what do you think? <laughs> so are you uh, thinking about your papers? Good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Glad to hear it. In the abstract sense, not. <laughs> so you've written an abstract. I'm wondering what, it, what it's going to be. What are you write about? Yeah, that's what um, it's yeah so um, <laughs> some of you know that I'm very unwilling to give paper topics, and I always think to myself, well, should I give them paper topics? Um, and the outcome is almost always the same, which is no. Oh, God. Except in the general sense of um, I strongly suggest you take a poem. Um, and do what we did in class. Okay. Um, and so the idea is that um, it's not just to paraphrase the poem, but um, first of all, to take a poem that uh, seems good um, and sell it. That is, um, show why it's good and why it's better than it might seem. Um, no matter how good it seems on first, on first glance, why it's even better than that. Um, what it is that um, the poet, in this case, it's probably going to be Dunn or Johnson. I mean, it's definitely going to be Dunn or Johnson. Um, what it is that um, Dunn or Johnson are, is, as we say with or, um, what Dunn and or Johnson is and or are doing um, to make the poem work as well as it does. Um, so that's, that I hope is what we um, tended to be doing in class and uh, what it's always a good thing to be doing um, when you write about a poem. So basically, the, for me, the problem with paper topics is it looks like um, there's something that you're supposed to figure out that I want from you, um, that the paper topic wants from you and you're supposed to figure it out and then um, just agree vigorously um, with what you think I think. Um, and Rather, what I would like you to do is agree vigorously with what you think the poem thinks um, and back up the poem. So does that make sense to people? Does this make you anxious? Good. Is it good to be anxious? Yeah. Well, we learned. Yeah. Sorry? Uh, yeah. In class? Um, did you want till five? I mean, is there... <laughs> why do you ask? Because I'm if we're like... Yeah, um, but what would you prefer not to? She's trying to get a read on you. 
<laughs> I know. I'm, I'm just puzzled by what the what what the significance of. But is that because you would like till five? There are pros and cons to all times, I think. <laughs> you, you actually, you, you're kind of sounding like Ben Johnson five. now. Yeah. <laughs> there are pros and cons to all times. <laughs> oh, Celia, let us go. <laughs> For now, I find what? this all rhymes. <laughs> and now I, I say, I know. Yeah. What do you want in terms of scholarship? Like. <laughs> No, really know. deep, well-informed <laughs> scholarship among, the, especially no, among like the classical. Do you want? Do you I would. Know, I two rep outside. No, I want zero. Oh. Um, just yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and the context of the class, <laughs> that is, um, not well. I really know a lot about Dunn, but I'm going to pretend he's a 20th century poet and that I know nothing. Um, no, it's it's the stuff you know from class, but. Um, Generally, um, undergrads, um, uh, what I would like you not to do is do research. Um, and if you, need, if you need to do anything in terms of figuring out um, some historical or theological... Oh, no, no research is great. Yeah, um, did we get a page, page count on that, or what was that? 1,250 words. Um, and yeah, it's they're these poems, and they're meant to be read, and you are readers, so that's the start. Are you going to do a lot the poems, or are we all going to do whatever? Yeah, you're um, all going to do whatever. All right, sorry, this is me. <laughs> um, you, what you pro what you shouldn't do, is um, just say is is to do again what we did in class. That is, it's fine for you to treat a poem that we did in class if you disagree with um, or have a lot more to say about it. Um, but what you shouldn't be doing is um, basically um, uh, writing up and putting into some kind of elegant shape um, what we have already done in class. So it should be um, more um, rather than the same. And all of Dunn's poetry is fair game? Yeah. But so, we, so the ones we did in class, but what, what, if we do that, then we're going to just repeat. Yeah, yeah so... Just pick one poem? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't do more than two. Okay. Um, I mean, you can if you really want to, but I wouldn't do more than two. No, what you shouldn't do is, is basically say, so the flea, well, is really interesting because um, the flea is, is like Christ-like and also, you know, the nails are the nails of the cross. You know, so tell me, tell me something that I might not know. But all well, of you them know is everything. fair game, so, so they yeah. don't have to write on something that you've done in class. No, I, I would yeah. prefer that you didn't do stuff we did in class. But it's hard because you're the reader, or reader and you already know right. the answers. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I know the answers that I gave. Um, <laughs> right. So if you have different answers, that's good. Um, so if you, if you, like, disagree, if you say, if you want to say... Um, actually loves alchemy is one of the um, greatest documents of feminism <laughs> in the history of, of um, human gender um, conflicts. And um, that would be interesting. Could we do like two poems side by side and say like, like for example, I'm thinking of uh, Break of Day and 
the other one that I can't remember that's about the break of day. <laughs> and saying, here are the parallels and why to get, like, basically, like, the, the, the synergistic understanding you get from reading these two poems side by side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's stuff we've done in class, too, right? I mean, it's... No, no, I mean, that's the sort of approach that we've taken in class. So um, it's... I can't possibly object to your taking an approach like the approach we've taken in class. Um, I mean, I could possibly, but I would never object to your taking an approach like the approach that we took in class. That doesn't mean you have to take that kind of approach. So the, so the approach... The kind of approach that I take, if you want to take it, yes, 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 by all means. Um, just don't, um, what you're not doing is um, just writing up um, discu class discussion. Uh, what you're doing is um, saying something that you um, think uh, will be, you know, would just convey a new idea, <coughs> convey a new idea to me. Um, so that's what you want to do. Okay, good. How are we liking Johnson? You like him? Yeah. All right. Um, what about you, Hung? Johnson or Dunn? Mm. You have to choose. One of them is going to... Stranded Island? <laughs> no, one of them is going to be burned and never read again. <laughs> and the other will be assigned to all 12th graders for the rest of history. That's right. Or I'd just rather, rather, rather read. I'd rather okay, read all right, Dunn. Thank you. <laughs> I'd rather read Dunn, but I'd rather hang out with Johnson. Uh, really? So you... Mm -hmm. Huh. So is this because you you're getting to like Dunn more, or... No, I mean, it is, I find him more interesting than his poetry. I think he's a more interesting poet to read. Um, but, yeah. Okay. He's harder? Yeah. Done. Yeah, Johnson's Darn a little more transparent yeah. than... Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, so, and what do you think? I would go for done because of this. Because you like the harder. Yeah, I still don't feel like I mean, we've read it all this time. I mean, I kind of get it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. It's very hard. Yeah. Do either of them make you happy? Johnson made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not sure that's the same thing as happy. Yeah, Dunn never made you laugh? Oh, yeah. He made me laugh. Okay. <laughs> what did it make me happy? That's a hard question. Dunn made me, like, want to laugh. But it was so hard to figure out. I was like, oh, I would have laughed. It wasn't so difficult to figure it out. Right, yeah. It's already built up. By the time I figured out, you're like, all right. I'm already so frustrated I can't laugh. Oh, my God. Wow. All right. So funny. Did John, all right. Has either of them made any of you happy? Yeah, John has totally made me happy. Okay. Same. There's a lot of poems I like them. All right. And Johnson hasn't made anyone happy. Yet. Not yet. All right, well, um, hmm. okay, well, uh, let's go look back at, um, we looked at my, on my first daughter um, last time, and um, so I guess what I was thinking about um, Johnson, and it's not, it's not all like this, but remember we were having that conversation about um, uh an aesthetics of difficulty versus an aesthetics of um, effortlessness. And Johnson is very much compared to Dunn on the side of effortlessness. Um, that doesn't mean he's always or even mostly effortless, um, but a way of putting it would be to say that the poems, um, the Johnson poems that people think of as great um, are the ones that um, are not really clotted and knotted and hard to figure out. 
Um, whereas the done poems that people think are really great are the ones that are knotted and clotted and hard to figure out. So that's a, that's a real difference in their aesthetics. Now, the thing about Johnson is he can um, and is proud of being, he can and is proud of being able to write in lots of different modes and styles and forms and um, dictions. And so sometimes he will write Dunn-like verse, um, and he really likes Dunn. Um, so writing, who's his exact contemporary, Dunn is, is a few months older than Johnson. Um, but he really likes and admires Dunn and will sometimes um, write difficult verse like that. But that doesn't tend to be what people um, remember in him. And what they do remember are the songs. Um, we talked about this a little bit last time. But, you know, if you look at... Um, one of the most famous songs is Drink to Me Only With Thine Eyes. It's one of the two Celia songs. Um, and that's um, on page um, 107. And um, <coughs> I guess it's worth noticing um, what makes it a song. Um, it's um, we looked at Dunn's poem called "Song Go and Catch Falling Star." Um, that's the only Dunn poem that we looked at that had as its title "Song." Um, there are three songs in the reading for today that are to Celia one way or another. Um, the first two are to a character named Celia, and they're from a play. Um, so they actually belong to a context, um, which is Volponi is trying to seduce Celia, and he is um, producing what's called a what kind of poem? Time is hastening on. We shouldn't waste that time. Carpe diem. Carpe diem, which means what? Anyone? Seize the day. Seize the day. Yeah. Um, later, we're going to also see what are called carpe florum poems, which is seize the flower, but um, it's a variant of seize the day. Um, and um, so those two songs are carpe diem poems, but here's a song to Celia that doesn't come from um, anywhere else, um, but it's just a song. And unlike Go and Catch a Falling Star, it doesn't have a plot, and that's interesting. That is, Go and Catch a Falling Star does have a plot, which is, I don't believe that there is anyone who is true and fair. Um, oh, but maybe um, you'll find one. But yet, I would not go if you did find such a person. Um, this is much more purely a song and um, has been set to music many times. Um, someone want to read it? Daniel? <clears throat> Drink to me only with thine eyes, and I will pledge with mine, I will leave a kiss but in the cup, and I will not look for wine, the thirst that from the soul doth rise, doth ask a drink divine, but might I of Job's nectar sup, I would not change for thine, I sent thee late a rosy wreath, not so much honoring thee, as giving it a hope, that there they could not wither be, but thou thereon didst only breathe, and sentest it back to me, since when it grows and smells, I swear. Thank you. Um, so, very quickly, what does it mean? She's 
Not quite. No. <laughs> okay, drink. So okay, so not so quickly. Drink to me only with thine eyes, as opposed to what? Yeah. Um, that. So, what would it mean to drink to someone with your eyes? Stare at them. Yeah, to look at them, to give them a look of love. Let's say. Um, so it's instead of holding up a cup and then saying, you know, to you, um, all song of praises due, and then drinking. Um, it's just look at me, and I'll do the same, and I will pledge with mine. What does the word pledge mean there? Indulge, not indulge. Really. No, it doesn't mean indulge. It's a, it's a, it's a very specific, has a very specific meaning. No. Like reciprocate? Mm, no. <laughs> it's like it's like. Yes, like pledge now, and you get this toast. No, it's it's join a frat. Um, what he's saying is. <laughs> no, you what, a pledge is a toast. Um, it means the same thing as a toast. Oh, indulge is kind of close. Yeah, but a pledge actually is, it's you say something. Okay. You, say, you, you say, to the queen, and that's a pledge, and then you drink and okay. a lot. Um, <laughs> but um, so if you drink, so, so it's, it's actually a, almost a synonym for drink to me. That is, it's not drink, it's drink to me. Make a toast to me. Pledge, um, 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 show that this drink is in my honor, and I will do the same for you. Um, so drink to me only with thine eyes and I will pledge with mine that is I'll look back at you or leave a kiss but in the cup and I'll not look for wine uh, what does that suggest? That I, I don't need to be drunk if I have the well it's not a kiss because it's the idea of it. leave, a kiss, leave a but in the cup but would seem to apply you don't even have to kiss me just kiss the cup and that's enough for me Okay, yeah. Um, the idea is, in fact, that, that there's a cup going around. Um, so what you would have is um, what, what people did in um, uh, parties in, when, when they drank. People still do this. Um, is you get a big goblet of alcohol, and um, someone would, would say, to the queen, and, and take a swig and then pass it to the person next to them, and they would drink it, and it would just go all around the room, and because it was alcohol, they wouldn't get sick. Um, but, I mean, they'd get sick, but not because of germs. Um, but um, the, um, so the idea here is, if you give me a cup that is, only has a kiss for me in it, um, then it's not, I won't want wine from the cup. So the idea is that this, it's this super um, spiritualized drinking that they're doing. What they're doing is they're simply drinking love rather than, um, the, rather than wine, rather than alcohol. <laughs> Yeats has um, uh, the idea of a spirit um, who drinks simply, what is it, the, the wine... Um, not the our, what is it? The, the spirit's palate that that can taste the wine's breath, unlike our grosser palates that need the whole wine, and um, that's the idea here. That this love is so spirit spiritual and refined um, that it's better than anything offered by an actual drink of alcohol. 
Um, it's the pure spirit itself. What done poem might this be like? Oh, um, the, the one with the bank, right? Yes, called. I'd choose a lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> okay, pick someone. I'm gonna go with time. I actually didn't hear what you said. Oh, it's the one with the, the bank, the pregnant banks rising up with Samantha. We're like a pillow yeah. on a bed, oh. the pregnant bank um. rose up. To rest the violets, reclining heads, sat we yeah, too. All right. You just got that? Yeah. Okay, from wherever Sargon is in your mind, the, the ecstasy was right. Oh, I see. Oh, so you did just get it. Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah. So the idea is that um, it's leaving behind the grossness of the material world, even the very fine grossness of alcohol. The idea of alcohol is. is um, Alcohol rises in spirits um, because alcohol volatilizes um, very, very quickly. And that's why you can smell alcohol so well. And the idea, therefore, is that um, the spirits go to your head. It's um, the theory of, of um, the pleasure that alcohol affords is that um, because um, the vapors rise so um, uh, easily, um, when you drink, those vapors rise into your mind, and they make you more spiritual, which is why you feel like you're closer to heaven. And, um, but he's saying, no, let's be more spiritual still. Um, that is, we don't even need the, need the spirits of alcohol. Um, all I need are your eyes looking at me, and I will pledge with my eyes looking at you. And if you pass around an empty cup that has a kiss in it, then I'll not look for wine means. I don't yeah, yeah. I'm, I won't look for for wine because there's your kiss. The thirst that from the soul doth rise, doth ask a drink divine. Paraphrase. My, my soul likes drinking love and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. When your soul is thirsty, it's looking for a divine drink. And what that divine drink is, is love. Um, so the point is, it's not alcohol. We can, we can quickly get that it's the alternative to alcohol, which is the kiss, or which is love, or which is um, our pledging our loves to each other. But, so, so if your soul is thirsty, then you're looking for a divine drink. But might I, of Jove's nectar sup, I would not change for thine. So how does that follow from the, the thirst that from the soul doth rise doth ask a drink divine? That even on top of love would be God's love. Okay. Or closeness to God top, so it would be like alcohol, the spirit <laughs> needing love, and the spirit even more than that craving God's presence or God's nectar. Okay. Um, so it's, it's almost as though, or it is as though, in fact it simply is, that the hierarchy is there's human wine, there's divine nectar, which is what our souls long for, um, and that nectar therefore becomes metaphorical. Um, that is, when we talk about the gods drinking nectar, we don't say to ourselves, oh yes, that's because the gods are souls and their souls thirst for nectar. Um, 
but rather that gods being material beings um, as we are, although of a higher level, they drink nectar where we drink wine. Um, and what he's saying is, okay, the thirst that from the soul doth rise doth ask a drink divine. Um, and nectar then, or a drink divine, would be a metaphor, not an actual drink, but a metaphor for whatever it is that will satisfy the soul. But he's saying, you know what, that metaphor isn't enough. But might I of Jove's nectar sup? That is, if I could have the god's nectar, that would still be liquid. That would still be the kind of thing that Ganymede offered Jove. That would be the liquid the gods drink. But might I of Jove's nectar sup? I would not change for thine. Um, which means? Yeah, that her love matters more to him than the god's nectar. So it's a really nice little moment where what he does is he contrasts earthly wine to divine nectar, and then he says, but really they're both the same thing compared to the thing that transcends all um, sorts of, of um, material drinking, um, which is your love. So earthly love and divine nectar on one side, your nectar, which is really metaphorical because it's your love, on the other. Yes, but in a second. Yes. So I just want to understand more clearly what Jove's nectar, Jove's nectar represents. Because this is the pagan god, yeah. and it's the I, it's so it's not the Christian god, mm-hmm. right? It's it's what the the ambrosia. I think that's another word for it. I guess they eat the, the they Greek eat gods ambrosia. eat ambrosia and they yeah. drink nectar, right? Um, and so it's this supernatural nourishment that only the gods can imbibe. But this, but what does it represent? I mean, it's so it's not actually divine drink in the Christian sense of divine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's. Do you understand what I'm asking? What does it represent? What does Jove's nectar represent? Yeah, and I think what it represents is a prompt to that question. Oh, um, <laughs> perfect. Thank you. Um, that is to say that um, it looks like it's obvious what it's going to represent, which is, I, I mean, I think, mm. but as I read it, it looks like it's obvious what it's going to represent, which is. Um, some sort of thing, um, some sort of um, poetic gesture where what you would say is um, your love is Jove's nectar to me. It's not earthly wine, but it's Jove's nectar. Um, That's a drink divine. And that would be, you know, a perfectly um, good and even even wonderful metaphor to use. Um, that is, when I look at you, it's like drinking Jove's nectar. You know, you can, you can, you can imagine lots of people spinning lines like that. Um, and um, so that's what it, would repre- what it would represent. It would represent love. Um, not, but then what he does, and I think that's why it does prompt that question, is that suddenly Jove's nectar and a drink divine um, become surprisingly literalized. That is, instead of it being, you know, Jove's nectar as a metaphor for what transcends human 
um, nourishment and instead nourishes the soul, um, actually becomes a cup of, of nectar. And that godlike nectar is nevertheless just, just nectar rather than love. And um, so there's um, a kind of motion to what looks like a pure metaphor. Um, the thirst that from the soul doth rise, doth ask a drink divine. Um, and when I look into your eyes, Jove's nectar then is mine. That's the kind of thing you're expecting. Um, but that's not what you get. Um, what you get instead is, um, I need a drink divine. In the next line, I will refer to Jove's nectar. But I'll say, that's not enough for me, because that's just nectar. Um, and then Jove becomes literalized, and nectar <coughs> becomes literalized. And the real thing that transcends those literal ideas um, is your nectar. Your nectar is the metaphorical nectar that I will drink. Jove's nectar is not metaphorical. It's just divine nectar, which is no big deal compared to your nectar. So does that make sense? Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I sent thee late. Um, late there means what? Recently. Recently, yep. Yeah. I sent thee late a rosy wreath not so much honoring thee as giving it a hope that there it could not withered be. So what's the paradox there, or the reversal? I sent roses to you, why? Yeah, Jeannie. Well, it, it's not so much like like a token of his love, but like kind of like like speaking to like her own like sense of like life giving or like... Yeah. Yeah, so if you, if you say something like, I sent thee late a rosy wreath, um, and trying to, if you ask for whose benefit did he send her the rosy wreath, what's the answer? Yeah, for the rose's benefit. Um, that is, so again, it's, you know, it's a lovely gesture. I sent you a gift. But I sent you that gift um, not to honor you because I couldn't. Because um, what could I say that um, isn't already obviously true of you? What honor could I possibly do you um, that isn't already yours? So I sent thee late a rosy wreath, not so much honoring thee as giving it a hope that there it could not withered be. So the rosy wreath now has a hope that will live forever because it's near her. But thou thereon didst only breathe and sensed it back to me. Since when it grows and smells, I swear not of itself, but thee. So what's Again, what's the, uh, not quite paradox, but it's got the form of a paradoxical reversal. Um, I sent you roses not to honor you, but to honor the roses. Um, so that's got the sense of a paradoxical reversal. It's not a paradox. It's not like, oh my God, my brain will explode. But no. it's rather um, a nice reversal of the, of the expectation, just as we've already seen with Jove's nectar. Um, the soul asks a drink divine, 
Jove's nectar is a drink divine, but it's not divine enough. Um, you're better than that. So here's this rose. I sent it to you not because you would say, oh, roses for me, how nice, but rather so the roses would say, oh, I was sent to her, how nice. Um, so again, it's got that reversal. Um, and then a final reversal, which is what in those last lines? Not of itself, but free. Yeah. Or they're keepers sent back to or sent back. Okay, they sent back to him, but what do they smell of? Like her. Yeah, they smell like her. Instead of her smelling like roses. roses. Yeah, instead of her smelling like roses, she breathes on the roses, and now the roses <laughs> are wonderful. It's like the Chuck Norris. <laughs> What's Sorry. it? It's what? Like little, all those stupid Chuck Norris jokes. It's like oh, yeah. Chuck Norris doesn't get right. wet water gets Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Roses. Roses smell. Why did she send it back, though? Did she just say it? <laughs> louder, louder. No, louder. Why did, why did she send it back? She may have just looked at it and sighed. Just enough well, of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, like, you know. Yeah, I, really, another I don't gift? Really get that <laughs> well, I think that's right. That is, that really? what, what is only hinted at here, but is definitely hinted at here, is in that but in line um, 13. But I sent, so I sent you these roses, but thou thereon didst only breathe and sensed it back to me. Um, a lot depends, and I think it's supposed to depend, on the word only. Um, what does only mean there? Merely. I think that's all you Okay, that's all you did. I don't know if it's like that's all you did and you should have done more. It's like you only breathed and it's still this great. Okay, so all it took was your breath to make the roses. Um, or like, how dare you only breathe on my roses? I tried so hard finding those. Yeah. No, I think, I think, we, I think it's both. That is, that um, as a gesture of, of graceful praise, it's all you had to do was breathe on the roses and then... Um, they really smelled great. The adder of your essence, or the essence of your of your presence, was on the roses, and that was much better than even the adder of roses. Um, so I'm thinking she doesn't like him. Yeah, <laughs> or the other possibilities. I sent you those roses, but all you did was was breathe on them and send them back. Um, you weren't interested, and so there, what you can feel is um, there. There would be a kind of plot which is he really, really wants her to love him back, um, but she doesn't. Um, or the other possibility is that it's a poem of pure praise. That is, it's a song of praise, um, which is, you know, here's how wonderful you are. All you have to do is drink to me with your eyes. All I need in the cup is a kiss. All I need is the nectar of your presence. Um, these roses are there to be honored by you, and I am honored by you when you send them back. And you can feel that it feels different if you see it as having a plot or if you don't see it as having a plot. That is, a lot depends on what the word but means, and a lot depends, in, in line 13, a lot depends on what the word only means. Um, is it but, you know, I did this thing, but you refused it? Um, I had an idea, but it didn't go the way I was hoping it would? Or is the but more like a pure 
conjunction. That is, here's what I can do, but here's what you can do. That is, um, there's more in what you can do. All you do is breathe on the roses, and then you send them back. That was lovely of you. I'm so happy to be getting them back. Um, I think it, it's, it's, you can't tell which it is, and that's part of the point, is that you can't tell which it is. That is that to the extent that it's a pure song of praise, um, what it's do what the what as pure song of praise what it wants to do is not worry about the other reading and to the extent that the other reading is there namely that she's rejecting him um, what it's doing is saying it's not a pure song of praise um, it's a, it's a desperate or you know at least a hope a desire an expression of, of a thwarted desire rather than praise so maybe what we could say is he desires it to be a pure song of praise. And if he desires it to be a pure song of, of praise, um, that desire may be the sign of the praise. That is, it may work successfully at being a pure song of praise. Um, again, I think you can ask that question about um, I mean, this is, this is a very subtle difference, but I think it's really, really there and really worth getting your mind around. What? I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I'm sorry. I, I hope this will help. <laughs> Which means it won't. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking of what it would mean for this gesture to be a recuperative one. Like, you, you sent the flowers back, but it's all okay. And I thought, I thought of um, um, the, now it's the, the names are escaping me, the Australian group. The Wiggles. No. Oh my gosh, <laughs> they are Concord. terrifying. Yes, Fly to the Concord. Fly to the Concord. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's Recycle Night, but Recycle Night, that's part, part of it too. Yes. Oh, you yeah. understand? Yeah, recycling. <laughs> no, that's, that's not possible. Business that's time. very important. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right, right, yeah. right. I'm counting on you all to know this, you too. What is it called? Business time. Business time. Uh, yeah. Recycling yeah. is also important. Right, right. yeah. So I apologize. I hope that is vivid. Analogy. Yes. Vis-a-vis. Yeah. <laughs> Concordia. I haven't seen that. Okay. Sorry. We're gonna have fun. Then TV music. Okay. I'm sorry. Will no. Ferrell. Oh. <laughs> sorry. That's fine. I actually have a question to ask, but I, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. Um. I guess. Well. Okay. So the one thing I I want to say is that we talked about this question, and I really think it's a it's it's a really helpful category, which is what you would want to quote, um, poems you want to quote, and poems that, you know, you don't particularly want to quote, and the extent to which um, uh, those of you who were um, not thinking that you were liking Dunn, partly it's that Dunn doesn't feel um, that quotable. I mean, it's not that he's not, you, you would love to read him aloud, look how hilarious this is once you understand it, um, look how outrageous this is, and so on. But it's, he's not the kind of, um, uh, he doesn't write the kind of lines in general, at least about love, that you would say to yourself when you're troubled in love. You, they, they wouldn't be what you would chant to yourself in your troubles. Um, whereas Johnson does, are you disagreeing, Taylor? Do you no, chant? No, I'm like completely agreeing. Okay. Um, but Johnson and Herrick, to talk about people we've looked at so far, they do 
often write the kinds of lines that you would want to say to yourself in love or trouble. Um, and the question then about a song like this one is the way we can put what I was just trying to say is, is to say, is this a kind of song that you would like to sing or not? And the reason I'm asking that is to say that if it's a song with a plot, that is, I'm in love with you but you rejected me, um, then it's pretty much not the kind of song you would like to sing. You know, then it's just like, you know, I sent you roses, but you sent them back, and um, you just sighed at them, but, oh, they still smell of you. That's great. Um, if that's the best I can get, that's what I'm going to get. Um, that doesn't feel like something that people would be moved to say to themselves. But if you can turn it into a pure love song, you know, and everyone likes singing pure love songs, um, then it is the kind of thing you would want to say to yourself. And so there's, so the question, which of the two not quite um, mutually compatible um, readings of the poem you give is a question also of what kind of poem you want it to be. A poem which is interesting for plot reasons or a poem which is beautiful for song reasons. And I think the plot itself will contain the idea that it's offering a song beautiful for song reasons. So there's a kind of meta way of reconciling those two different um, attitudes towards the poem. Interesting plot, beautiful song, but it's one or the other, except that it is a beautiful song as maybe the resolution of the interesting plot, and that's a way of getting them together. Laura, then Hunt. You were going to answer the question. Oh, go ahead, Hunt. I'll, I'll ask you. Um, I think maybe one interesting way to kind of bring those perspectives together is the word grows. Because when you think about it, roses that have been plucked and put in a wreath, they don't grow, they wither. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that kind of pushes me towards that, you know, the, the interesting plot, you know, backstory, mm -hmm. but then to kind of bring in, you know, the kind of more transcendental, you know, love poem, it's the idea that, you know, there, you could read, you know, a desire to transcend decay, and so then, you know, you're yep. recuperating some type of, you know, um, romantic, you know, sentiment in that, so maybe that's one way to kind of bring those two closer together. Yeah, I, I like you bringing up the <laughs> romantic sentiment for another reason because it's, I think Shelley is is has is haunted by this poem and in um, a poem of his like well in particular in the poem when the lamp is shattered which ends, you know it, it begins when the lamp is shattered the light in the dust lies dead, um, what is it when the something is scattered, when the when the light is scattered the rainbow's glory is fed. Actually, it's a different poem I'm thinking of. But anyhow, there's a poem that ends. Um, yeah, no, I'm thinking of music when soft voices die. Um, music when soft voices die vibrates in the memory. Um, odors when sweet <clears throat> violets sicken live within the sense they quicken. And then roses when the rose leaves when the rose is dead are heaped for the beloved's bed. So thy thoughts, when thou art gone, love itself shall slumber on. 
Um, so the idea is, yeah, she's gone. Um, the violets have died. The music is over. Um, the um, all of that is gone, and yet there's this thing that remains that turns it into a song. And the turning the plot into a song, that's what Shelley does in his lyrics. And I think that that um, that's what Johnson is doing here. He may be getting that from um, Johnson. Laura. Well, I'm sorry, this is um, such a fall um, from what you're saying, but I'm, there's something about the poem which is nagging to me. I have a nagging question about it. And um, it's that I find the last image um, a little too physical, mm-hmm. um, especially given the fact that the poem begins um, with this idea of volatilizing this love out of the physical. Yeah. And even the kiss, it's leave but a kiss in the cup. It's not kiss me, it's do an air kiss. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, and it will come to me as an air kiss. So at the very end when the roses come back smelling of her, do you see what I mean? It's, yeah. It is... Um, um, seems, and I don't know whether this is just a modern perspective, but it seems too um, uh, much about about actual, it's not volatilized enough, it's too much about actual physical um, um, an organic being. Yeah. Well, Which, yeah. I was going to say, it is the climax of the poem, so it could be building up all of the, you know, the, the, the distance, uh, and if she sent them back, there's a good chance there's distance, so it's like closing the distance with these kisses in the air, these looks between us, and then the physical smell being the most, you know, if I feel like if this were done, it would end with some parallel to sex, but for for his for Johnson and Celia, it's like the closest to that he knows he can come is just her smell. Mm-hmm. Mm. So for you it's effective, isn't it? Um, if, if viewed for, through the interpretation that of, I, I think it was the first way you mentioned, Professor, of um, that that it is sort of about not a, not a, a song of praise, but a sort of a story of kind of disappointment. Huh. Eric Santner talks about remainders and that's that's kind of in the moment like the ending works for me if I think of the poem in terms of like spiritual remainders you know when you even when you think of alcohol you know the, the that spirit coming from the material the smell you know that immaterial coming from the very material flower um, so yeah so if I think of it in terms of spiritual remainders like you know what do we have that um, that's left then I'm not as bothered by the ending I think it's it's I think the least that we can say about it um, and what makes it pretty amazing is that the poem modulates as you go through it that is it's not um, four versions of the same thing and um, I think it's partly about its own modulation that is to say that um, the first the, the part about um, the first eight lines are about drinking and then the uh, second eight lines are about the rose and um, obviously they're similar because of the adder of the rose because of the essence of, of um, because of rose essence um, and the idea of 
this volatile um, uh, material that we that we're aware of um, through the most spiritual of senses, which is the sense of smell. Spiritual, almost in the literal sense, of spiritual. That's how we know that the spirits are there. Um, but it's also, I feel like um, one way of feeling that modulation is that the first eight lines are um, a plea. That is, drink to me with thine eyes and I will pledge with mine. So please drink to me with your eyes and here's what I'll do back for you. Please leave a kiss in the cup and then I won't ask for anything else. Um, my soul is thirsty um, and what it's, what it's thirsty for is um, the nectar of, of your existence, of your presence, of, of your possibility, of the fact that um, life is so wonderful that you're in the world. Reference, how wonderful life is since you're in the world. Oh, isn't that a John Mayer song? No. Yeah. What? How wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I, a few of these verses. Well, they got yeah, they got me quite cross. Um. So yeah, how wonderful life is. Um. That's the first eight lines. Then the second eight lines, you could say almost that they're um, they're no longer a plea. They're a description. Um, I sent you roses to honor them, and they came back, and they smelled even better than when I sent them off um, because they smelled of you. And um, it's almost as though we go from a plea, paradoxical or quasi-paradoxical plea in the first eight lines to a quasi-paradoxical um, uh, way things are in the second eight lines. And that modulation from a plea to how things are um, feels like a success. That is, the first eight lines, you get the paradox of, here's what I really want. I know it's paradoxical. And the second eight lines is, and now here's what I have. And it is paradoxical. So he wants something paradoxical, or I'm just going to say, quote, paradoxical, quasi-paradoxical, quasi-paradoxical. He wants something like that in the first eight lines. And in the second eight lines, it's almost as though the happy version is, it becomes a pure song because he has it. It's no longer a plea for something. It's a, and here it is. It's great, that quasi-paradoxical way of, of being in the world with you. It's great. It's happening. And now I'm just going to sing it. And um, so I think that that would be the happy version of the song, and maybe the more beautiful version, at least for me. Um, does that make sense? It's, I think it, it, it's a really subtle thing, but I think Johnson is really good when he wants to be at subtlety. There's a poem not in here. I was, I was going to bring it in next week, but maybe it's worth... Um, Wait, do you want oh, yeah. No, um, May I just ask a follow-up question? Yes. So for you, like, you know, to follow up on Zach's point, the fact that she sends it back, that doesn't kind of threaten the entire poem for you, like her, the mystery of why or, or that, you know, that presence? Well, so, Yeah. Isn't there another possibility? Um, it's less likely, but you could read it as a deliberate mm -hmm. gesture mm -hmm. on her part, right? Like mm -hmm. she, she blew on it, confident mm -hmm. that the reciprocate that she was reciprocating right. by blowing on it and sending it back to him. Right, right. 
I sort of thought that was a possibility. Right, she, no, I agree. Like, we like, don't know. I feel like she'd be thinking really highly of her own breath to do that. <laughs> you know? Well, that's part that's of an erotic bizarre. tease. So that's the thing, like, is she playing the game? Like, is she, mm, yeah. is she playing the game and this is yeah. her, you know... Well, sending it back is counter to what he intended he wanted them to. Oh, that's there. true. Good point, Zach. He wanted them to stay. Well, except that they, the point is they come back on, and they don't wither. Yeah. This was what Han was saying. Yeah, yeah. it's really... It's so maybe the magic worked. Possible. Because, I mean, what you were saying about passing the cup around, you know, is this kind of her, you know, take on passing the cup around, you know, giving mm -hmm. the gift back, or is there something more, you know, disturbing about it? I don't know, I'm totally... That line just... And I feel, for that reason, Dunn would have never written this poem. Like, he would never have given up that focus on his own um, you know his own self his own uh, you know subjectivity in the poem to give it up to this other you know mystery um, I don't know I... so I mean I, th I find it's really powerful and really hard to talk about I mean to talk about coherently which is but maybe and this will either be helpful or so completely unhelpful that you should just completely ignore it. Um, but there's a great early story by Maurice Blanchot, um, one of my favorite writers, um, called The Idyll. And um, so, it's, so the title suggests that everything is going to be wonderful. And um, the story is a story about just it, at first, it looks hugely ironic and terrible because um, the main character in the story just goes through horrible things in this house, in this kind of Kafka-esque um, house that he's introduced to where everything goes wrong. And finally, towards the end, he says to um, a woman who he is um, fascinated by, um, he says, well, you know, it's just been a disaster and, and I'm going... It's been awful, and she agrees. But then she says, "But that doesn't prevent it from having been an idyll." And um, he thinks about it for a second and agrees. Yeah, it was an idyll. So one thing you could say is, what makes love an idyll doesn't require that it be happy. It, all it requires is that it be love. Um, and the experience of love, even if it's a sad experience, um, you can still say it's an idyll. Um, it's still something that you will sing a song of praise to. And I think that that's how um, I read this. That is to say that um, the plot is he sent her roses and she sent them back. He asked her to drink to him with her eyes and um, she didn't. And he sent her roses and she sent them back. Um, but the song is, yeah, and that was love and it was great. And not, it was love and it was great because it worked out well. You don't need that part, the it worked out well. All you need is it was love and it was great and I got to have that experience and write this song. And um, that's, that's how it feels to me. Um, and I think that that's, a, that's me again trying to explain the, the subtle effect that um, I feel that it has on me. Um, but let me give you, as I say, this is not in um, the uh, Norton, but I'll send this to you if you like and you better like. Um, this is from um, 
uh, Johnson's Mask of Beauty. Um, so, uh, So, well, the first line of the poem is, So beauty on the waters stood. But I'll just we'll contextualize it for you. Um, the winds departed, and the river received them into the land by couples and fours, their cupids coming before them. These dancing forth, the most curious dance, full of excellent device and change, ended it in the figure of a diamond, and so standing still were by the musicians with a second song sung by a loud tenor celebrated. So here's the song. So beauty on the waters stood when love had severed earth from flood so when he parted air from fire he did with concord all inspire and then emotion he them taught that elder than himself was thought which thought was yet the child of earth for love is older than his birth so um, love teaches the spheres, teaches the universe, teaches um, the world that he creates um, to move, teaches planetary motion, teaches, teaches um, universal motion to the world. Um, and that motion was thought to be elder than love. So beauty on the water stood when love had severed earth from flood. So when he parted air from fire, he did with concord all inspire. And then emotion he them taught, that is, he taught all the things that he inspired with concord. He taught them emotion. And then emotion he them taught that elder than himself was thought, which thought was yet the child of earth. For love is elder than his birth. So love is older than the thought of love. That thought of love is that love came from the universe, that love was a child of the universe rather than the universe being a child of love. But that thought itself is a child of earth. That is, that love um, is the parent of that thought because love is the parent of the universe. So the thought that gets love wrong is in fact a thought that comes from love. And that incredible line, beauty on the waters stood, um, that's where love comes from. And that has to be, you know, in the, in the grandest possible way, that has to be a self-describing line. That is, this extraordinary image of beauty standing on the waters and um, representing or being an object of love and teaching motion to the universe because love and beauty are its parents and then the universe believing that love came from motion rather than motion coming from love and that belief is itself a child of earth, not a false belief, but a very child of the earth created by love. So a child of love, you could almost say. And so you get that reversal, but it's all good. The fact that it's false doesn't matter, um, which thought was yet the child of earth 
And what that phrase means, the thoughtless yet the child of earth, for love is elder than his birth. If you ask, what does the child of earth mean? When you say, which thought was yet the child of earth, what that line means is that the thought was wrong. Why? Because it's a child of earth um, and doesn't know transcendent truth. That's an amazing way to say that the thought was wrong. But it's not a way of saying how unfortunate that, that, that there should be this false thought. It's rather the amazing thing about love is that it gives rise to the children of earth that think of love as coming from our world. And love so loved us as to make it seem that love was um, also a child of earth which is where we are and how we think and where we live. Yeah? And is, is, this, is, this, is this poem referencing God? So yes. Is he part of the higher Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. Is God also that elder? Um, le- well, elder there is an adjective, right? Oh, okay. He taught them emotion yeah. that was thought to be elder than oh, love yeah, was. that one was confusing me. Sorry? That one was confusing me, but it didn't have yeah, so he taught them emotion thought to be older than he himself was. So even though he taught them the motion, um, that motion was thought by us children of Earth to be older than love was. But no, love is elder than that thought's birth. So saying love is elder than the birth of God? Um, no, then, well, literally it's then the birth of um, the thought of motion or... Um, or um, even elder than motion. That is that motion is born out of love rather than love being born out of motion. Um, But again, it's that um, love there, it's not say, oh, by love he means God. Um, It's much better to say by God um, he actually is understanding that the word God in the Bible means love. so if you say God is love, you can understand that as, yes, God is just so loving and, you know, he looks kind of, he behaves kind of weirdly in certain ways, but he really does love us. Um, and the other way of understanding God is love is, you know, any picture you have of God, get rid of that picture and just think of love. And Johnson is on the second side of that alternative. Um, just such incredible lines of beauty on the waters is dead. Um, all right, so, you know, as I say, I think it's really, really, really subtle, but I think the thing about Johnson, and we had that a little bit in Go and Catch a Falling Star, is um, that, um, well, it's something that Homer says also, that um, the reason, this is in the Iliad, there's this amazing moment in the Iliad where Homer says the reason that they did all this and did all this violence is so that in later ages there should be song. Um, That is this song, the song that I'm singing about what they did. And it turns out that song, and I think this is what Johnson is is doing, um, is saying not that songs represent something which is prior to them, that's like... um, Uh, thinking that songs are the child of earth. Um, That there is something, and then there's a song about that thing. 
but rather that the aim is song. That is, that things happen so that there can be songs about them. Um, the songs are what matter. And so um, the way he's going to um, absorb his relationship to her is, yeah, it's great, because here's this song. And that's what it's for, yeah. Yeah, is there, what false poem is it? The Aimless Song. Yeah, is it called The Aimless Song? Yeah. That, that ends, Eve in the, is in the garden, yeah. and the birds sing a song, and, I mean, we should... Or never again poem. would bird song be the same? Yeah, I think that's it, which ends, and to do that to birds was why she came. Yeah. Um, so it's a retelling of the story of the Garden of Eden, where the point is to create bird song. <laughs> yes. Uh, Their amorous desk can't sing. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think, you know, Shelley and Frost, um, they're, they're good people to compare to Johnson. Here, let's... But also what, what you're saying seems to me to be an enactment of the me metaphor of volatilization, um, or maybe I need a better chemical metaphor. No, that's... In chemistry, if you take two solid things and you combine them and they turn into a gas, what is sublimation. the name? Sublimation. Sublimation, right, okay. So the metaphor of sublimation, drink to me only with thine eyes. Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Because that's a wonderful word. And the metaphor of roses taking on her fragrance, replacing one fragrance with another. That, that's what song is, too. That's what you're saying, yes. song is. Song yes. is a sublimation. Yes. Of that kind of a chemical transformation of the, the the hardness of experience yeah. into um, something beautiful and subtle and light. Yeah, yeah, and not sublimation as it's sometimes understood as repression. Right, not the Freudian sense of sublimation, but the chemical sense. Yeah. So the here's the um, Frost poem. He would declare and could himself believe that the birds there in all the garden round, from having heard the day-long voice of Eve, had added to their own an oversound. Her tone of meaning, but without the words. Admittedly, an eloquence so soft could only have had an influence on birds when call or laughter carried it aloft. Be that as may be, she was in their song, Moreover, her voice upon their voices crossed, had now persisted in the woods so long that probably it never would be lost. Never again would birds' song be the same. And to do that to birds was why she came. So yeah, so Eve was there in order to teach the birds to sing. It's not that the birds um, are forced to sing because of the fall or bird song is some response to this terrible thing Eve did, but the whole aim was song. Um, it's, it's called, um, it's just, it, it's called Never Again Would Bird Song Be the Same. Um, and then the other poem, uh, let me just see if I can find this. Of course, that could just be song story about itself. Yeah. <laughs> It was all for me, for song. Yeah, but in a good way. Robert yeah. Frost, yeah. Um, this is Frost himself reading that. Um, 
And here's a, here's another one. Um, this is called the aim. This is called the aimless song. Before man came to blow it right, the wind once blew itself untaught, and did its loudest day and night in any rough place where it caught. Man came to tell it what was wrong. It hadn't found the place to blow. It blew too hard. The aim was song, and listen how it ought to go. He took a little in his mouth and held it long enough for north to be converted into south, and then by measure blew it forth. By, by measure, it was word and note the wind, the wind had meant to be. A little through the lips and throat, the aim was song the wind could see. So again, it's um, what did the wind aim to be? It aimed to be a song. So the idea that the song is the point of things, um, you know, that, I, I think that's what's going on in Johnson also. Um, and it's a sort of new thing to be going on. Um, you know, I don't think, I, I think there are plenty of precursors to it, including in Homer. But the idea that the goal is song, that song isn't something that comes after, um, but that is itself the goal for everything that it describes, um, and a song describing how it is itself the goal of what's described. If you read Johnson that way, I mean, that kind of opens up a fascinating avenue in terms of um, you know, him not being a very good Protestant. I mean, the end of song needs <laughs> to be God. Yeah. You know, and so if we're, if we're, you know, if the measure of the song is, you know, the song, then that kind of puts Johnson on this path of, you know, the secular, the scientific. Yeah. Um, very early on. Yeah. In, in that history. That yeah. History. Yeah. No, I think that's true. Um, and, uh, you know, no one ever accused Johnson of, I mean, he was, he was very much a moralist, but um, he did like a drink. <laughs> um, and not only from people's eyes. Um, let's, but, you know, another example of this just um, is what we were going to start with, which was on my first son, on um, page 85, um, which is paired, which he pairs, um, presumably. They're not next to each other in his works, but presumably... Um, with On My First Daughter, just by the title. So um, Johnson's son died um, when he was seven years old. Um, his name was Benjamin as well. Um, on his seventh birthday, um, he died. And so Johnson writes, Farewell, thou child of my right hand, and joy, and as the note tells you, Benjamin means child of my right hand. Um, Farewell, thou child of my right hand, and joy. My sin was too much hope of thee, loved boy. Uh, why does he, well, let's just read the whole poem first. Seven years thou wert lent to me, and I thee pay exacted by thy fate on the just day. Oh, could I lose all father now, for why will man lament the state he should envy? To have so soon escaped the world's and flesh's rage, and if no other misery yet age, rest in soft peace and asked say here doth lie Ben Johnson his best piece of poetry for whose sake henceforth all his vows be such as what he loves 
may never like too much. Um, so what everyone remembers from this, what you should remember all your lives, is that fantastic phrase, Ben Johnson, his best piece of poetry. That is that um, his son is his best piece of poetry. Yeah, that his is a little bit archaic, but it's where we get the apostrophe S for possessive. Um, did you know that? Uh, the reason a possessive is apostrophe S in English is it's short for its or his. Um, and then it applies to women also. Um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, Jack Smith, his book, people will write in their books. And what that means is Jack Smith's, more modernly that would be Jack Smith's book, but that's a contraction um, for Jack Smith, his book. Um, so here is Ben Johnson's best piece of poetry. Um, that is the greatest thing he ever made, the best thing he ever made, his son. Um, and now he's dead. Um, why my sin was too much hope of thee, loved boy? Uh, line two. Where does sin... Is this, is this following the death of his daughter? His mistake was hoping too much. Yeah. Right, but is it on, is it on the heels of his, another child dying? Yeah, it's probably substantially later, but no one, no one Still, really knows. Think that I could have this thing when it was taken away from me once before. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was hoping too much after I'd lost my daughter. Hoping too much. Um, just take it though it, by itself. That is, okay. don't, don't. Um, connected to that. Sorry. Connected back to. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just taking taking the poem by itself. Why would he bring in his sin here? He's really good at. Um, I mean, this is what we saw in. Um, which thought was yet a child of earth. That is a way of saying, without saying it, that thought was wrong. Um, he's really good at um, giving you the dynamics of um, the connection between moment to, between between issue and issue. So why does he bring in his sin in line two? It's the idea that he's blaming himself, that if he caused the death of his son by loving him too much. Yeah, that is, I'm being punished. That is, farewell... My sin was I hope too much for you, um, and so I'm being punished. Um, and that was wrong of me. I loved you too much. And um, that's a way of saying I still do. Um, and saying I was punished because I loved you so much. Um, you died exactly on your seventh birthday. Oh, could I lose all father now? What does that mean? I not care, like, like not be your father and be indifferent. Yeah, or at or least dispassionate. Yeah. Um, okay. That is unbiased. Because if I could do that, then I wouldn't lament the state that I should be envying. What state is that? Death. No, no, your state. So I lament the fact that you're dead. I should envy it. Why? Okay. Well, also because yeah. he believes he's in heaven. Yeah. Um, to have so he explains it in the next line. To have so soon escaped worlds and flesh's rage, you know that was good. You escaped the rage of the world and the rage of the flesh. And if you, even if no other misery was going to happen to you, You're wrinkly and ugly. Yeah. Like whom? Me. Like me. Yeah. Um, 
So rest in soft peace and asked, say here to fly Ben Johnson, his best piece of poetry. Um, a lot of people, um, this is a poem that actually divides people, especially at this moment um, divides people. A lot of critics think that and asked is inept. Um, and for me, I think it's just great. Um, but the question is, who would ask the corpse? And what would they be asking? Like, hey, so, whose best piece of poetry are you? Or, um, what are you doing here? What kind of thing are you? Where's Ben Johnson's best piece of poetry? Right. So there are a lot of critics who will say, you know, this, this is, this is uh, it's a kind of good poem with unfortunately marred by this really stupid line. Um, but I think it's actually a really great line. Um, it might be worth, I don't know, writing a paper about uh, <laughs> since class is over. But um, it, is, it is striking that and asked. Um, yeah. For one thing, it's as if he were... Um, extending his son's being. Yeah. I mean, it's a, an expression of a wish. Yeah. Um, so even though he's not yeah. a, a aware of it or doesn't represent himself as being yeah. aware of it. Yeah. And when he says the just day, does he mean that because he was alone that um, he yes. gave it back yeah. to God? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is, it was alone for seven years. Right. So he had a seven year um, education loan. 